Hey there, welcome to Sauce Unbound, brought to you by Sauce Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Amir Bonnenkamp, co-founder of Payflow, the no-code software to build, design, and integrate ClickFlows. They're building a truly no-code experience to give marketers and business owners the tools they need. And it's super exciting to have you here. Thanks for having me, Anna. Thanks for the invitation. Well, and uh, welcome to your first English-speaking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to listen to the German ones, but, you know. Um, I'm actually so sorry for all the people who have to listen for the very first time to my funny German accent. So apologies for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, I'll insert a few memes there. <laughs> 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 but uh, it's good to have you here. So uh, let's start maybe a bit with your background. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can give you a quick background on myself. So my name is Amir. I'm one of the two co-founders of Hayflow. Initially started out my career in venture capital, then moved on the other side of the table, was hired as the employee number one of a company called Medring, um, today the largest recruiting platform on healthcare recruiting here in Europe. And then eventually stumbled over flows and the whole topic around conversion optimization. Eventually became the founder of Hayflow, um, started off the company in 2020 with my co-founder Dustin, um, today with customers in over 50 countries, basically ranging from Fortune 500 companies like Adeco Group, large financial, financial institutions, such as Kriyagi Call, but also scale up startups like McMarkler Clark and Get Safe. And essentially, we are helping them to convert more traffic with interactive flows. And we built a software for them that basically empowers them to build the user experience that makes people click. Okay. Oh, wow. That's quite a pitch. <laughs> I can tell you, you've done it a million times. <laughs> and you've raised capital, right? Uh, so coming from the VC, that's probably like one of the first questions that everyone asks you, right? Was it easier for you to raise capital since you've been on the other side of the table and you, you have the network? I think it was. Uh, that being said, um, I mean, I started out as a first-time founder. I didn't have uh, tons of experience, but I definitely had uh, a network that I could leverage, right? In the end of the day, um, uh, finally, also, uh, two investors that invested in Hayflow are uh, the ones that um, I've been working with in the past. So, yeah, I, I, I would say um, network definitely plays a role and also helped us in raising funds early on. Okay, so network is one. What's, uh, what's the secret sauce that, you know, adds up to, to the network? Because everyone says network is, is important, but what, what pushed you over uh, to still raise money as the first uh, time founder? I mean, I think for us, and probably I need to go back here a little bit more, right? Um, when I was working at Medring, we kind of observed that companies are not really building any more forms, right? They're not really anymore building um, chatbots or classic websites to convert traffic, right? And um, flows were really kind of the big, new, cool thing on the block, but there was no software that would 
actually empower any marketer out there to build a flow, right? And to convert more traffic, to get basically on the level of really the industry disruptors of be it a laminate in the insurance industry, a tax fix and financial services and McMarkle and real estate, right? So there was this conversion gap that we saw in the market. And basically, we also saw that there was no real innovation happening over the last like 10, 15 years, right? So most marketeers would still use like classic form builders. They would use like website builders, but of course they were not having really the chance to get on this level. And this basically made us think um, that we have to have, that we need to take basically a big swing at this and that this would require funding, right? Um, but yeah, just, Elaborating a little bit more on that, we already had um, a clear proof of concept when we raised funds, okay. right? So first off, we were bootstrapping in the very beginning. So mm -hmm. built Hayflow up just like an agency selling the flow itself, not the software. You don't have a software from day one, right? You just pick up the phone sure. and call potential customers and then you tell them, hey, I have something for you that might be very relevant for you. When, when you when you're looking for more leads when you're looking for more conversions happening on your platform and um, I can help you getting there right but we built custom solutions in the early beginning and no software product but eventually later on we built the software product around that but also had already like the very like customers on board that were using our product on an everyday basis yeah, yeah. Yes. so when we raised the first funds, um, the company was profitable, right? And it was in a position where it really had a clear proof of concept that basically validated that there is a market out there. We don't know how big it is. We don't know how many companies are really interested in it, but we did know, okay, there's something really tangible here. And if we want to succeed further down the line in this market against this competition, we need to to raise funds, right? And this is basically why we raised then a pre-seed round. Back then we only raised right 500K or so to just get to work basically. Hired five people, invested more in product, invested in go-to-market. And then um, like, of course, we're for some time not profitable, but invested, invested and invested. Yeah, so that we got again actually profitable before raising our next round, right? And this is actually how we think about it, right? We use funds to take a or to make a lead towards um, productivity, right? To invest more in productivity, to invest more in scale, but um, but in the end, of course, to uh, we 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 want to see a return on investment on that. So we want to see that like the money that we invest is useful and uh, is, is, is invested properly, right? And this is right. basically what we are trying then to do with the funds that we are raising. Okay. All right. Well, you know, um, funny that you mentioned the accent. I understand almost 40%. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, great, great story. I think uh, this is, uh, this is something that, um, every successful company goes through, right? First, you, you just make sure that there is a market and, and someone is there to buy. But um, it's also uh, very interesting how sometimes um, when founders are trying to raise money before um, they, they sell something, right, for, for an idea, it, it's so difficult, even though, you know, they, they are so passionate about and everything. Yeah. But when, like you said, you've, you've been bootstrapping for a while, uh, once they get profitable, once they're, they um, 
prove that there is a market, then VCs come calling you, right? And it's almost yeah. at the point when you don't need them anymore. So yeah. um, how to understand um, your vision and the necessity of raising funds? Like, is it just to be featured on Forbes or is it something that you really, really need? I think it really depends, right? And you have to ask yourself as an entrepreneur, as a founder, um, this question, if you really need funds for that, because of course, with um, outside capital, right, there comes also, um, comes also another expectation um, um, along, right? So uh, investors definitely want to see you hustling. They definitely want to see your company growing. They want to see the three X's, the four X's year over year. And this means for you, of course, to put in the work. And, and this is not something that is basically for everyone um, that interesting, right? And it's also nothing that is, it's also perhaps something that's not always required. Um, so I'd always recommend to bootstrap if you can bootstrap. And if you don't really see basically a capital influx having a huge impact on the success of your company. But if you have like a very strong hypothesis around that, then of course, why not just go for it and do it? But be aware of the consequences it has when you're raising outside capital, right? You're not. Right. only shareholder than anymore. Right. You, 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 it's kind of like you have a job, another yeah. like additional, uh, additional job, uh, to return that investment. Right. And, uh, just, just one more thing, um, that I wanted to ask. And again, it comes up a lot during the, yeah. uh, during the podcast, um, Bootstrap founders tend to think that, you know, when you're bootstrapped, you're scrappy, you know that you absolutely have to have the cash in order to, to spend it, right? And the best case scenario on how to stay bootstrapped and successfully so is not spend money. And um, uh, it's the opposite situation with uh, VC-backed startups, right? Uh, you do have the money and it's almost like you're supposed to just go and spend it. So um, is it uh, just a prejudice that, you know, uh, founders of VC-backed companies uh, have that spending mindset or you do feel a bit more at ease right now when, you know, when you do have the cash? Yeah, I think like over the course of the past 12, 18 months, um, efficiency or cash efficiency metrics have gotten a bit more popular among VCs, right? So um, they do ask way more for like uh, things like a burn multiple, for instance, right? For KBS, like a burn multiple. They do want to understand more like where your margins, cross margins are heading, right? But um, at the same time, um, they um, they also require you, of course, to invest the capital that you've raised from them, right? So you couldn't basically behave like a bootstrap entrepreneur, although you raised uh, tons of capital yeah, that wouldn't right. really add up. So if you, once you decide to play this game, you're playing this game and it doesn't make change, like it doesn't make a ton of sense to then just change the rule and uh, change the rules and basically 
uh, decide to not invest your capital for the next 10 years, right? Um, so, yeah, um, that's basically a decision that is, in my opinion, quite hard to revert. Right. Okay. All right. So have you, <clears throat> have you noticed that, you know, VCs are no longer um, looking for, for new companies to invest in, or maybe um, if they do invest, they tend to come back to the companies that have already invested in and just add to, to that investment, right? Or mm. is actually the, the VC market so bad right now? Um, I think I'm not the best person to answer this question, but I can I can give it a try. So from okay. what I'm seeing, especially in the very early stage market, right, pre-seed and seed funding, things haven't changed a lot, right? But if we are talking about Series A, Series B and growth stage investments, um, the bar has gotten way higher, right? While um, like over the like last years, um, like the core metric that VCs have been looking at and growth investors have been looking at was around like overall growth. Again, they're looking now way more at cash efficiency metrics, right? So, and I think with that, of course, the, um, the, the bar has, has increased a little bit, right? And I think it has definitely gotten harder for, um, for series A and series B entrepreneurs to raise funds if they, don't have um, the revenues to show, if they don't have um, cash efficiencies to show, if they don't um, have like overall growth to to show that is that looks really promising, right? And um, I think this has, of course, also been like kind of the primary motivation of companies to um, to also cut costs and to get more efficient, right? Because this is now what the market is asking for. And with that also, of course, the multiples have been going down, right? Uh, see SaaS group really, um, really also talking about that a little, uh, like quite, quite a lot, right? And um, I think this is true. Uh, so I think the time where you get like, uh, multiple on your revenue of 100X or so, 80x is really over and everything has gotten like way more realistic and benchmark is now set from um from from publicly listed companies like hubspot wix right yeah or salesforce yeah okay all right uh so the the trend continues uh all right so let, let's talk a little bit about the like cash allocation investment um and uh revenue right uh you said it's, you know, it's a game you play, so you have to know where you're going to put your money. Um, so for Hayflow, what's the biggest expense? Uh, definitely uh, human resources and then mm -hmm. followed by um, marketing, right? Um, so I think this is where most of our money is invested, software product. Uh, we don't have any hardware costs or so. So we, uh, we do invest tons of money in and people right and right. that's um that basically where that's basically where where our money is going right and also with that being said maybe i can uh this is not really related to hayflow but generally to the market i think what will be very interesting to see is basically also how will ai how will basically also the developments 
within AI, increase productivity so that you don't really need that much of cash anymore, right? So, so far, like, very simply speaking, um, founders have been going to VCs and said, okay, I need, I really need to hire that many of people. And with people seeing like a huge productivity boost with AI, of course, I think we need to, we need to understand a little bit more how this changes the capital requirements that companies have to, um, to really scale, right? And if this capital is really required, do you really need to raise a 20 million, um, series seed round? Uh, can you also, um, can you also build a business with like 1 billion? Um, that's just, a little bit um, differently uh, allocated, yeah. Right. So you think AI will take a part of the jobs? Um, I, I I don't think it will. I, I think it will increase productivity, um, and it will basically it, with that decrease a little bit the demand. But in, in the first place, I think it will definitely increase the productivity of workers. Right. So I don't think that you will get rid of the content writer so no of course not right but um you will definitely increase the productivity of a content writer um right. to like 5x 10x perhaps right and this is basically where i see the advantages i think the same is um is true for um things that happen uh, on the engineering side okay are you are you leveraging uh ai for hayflow right now or are you planning to uh, yes, we do have, uh, we've built already like, um, the first, uh, mini, I would say features. Um, it's unfortunately a little bit, um, too soon to talk about them in public, but, um, there are some, some, uh, really, really exciting things ahead of us. And yeah, um, definitely we have some great ideas and we have also shipped already some, some amazing code that is right now in review before it's getting uh, published. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Barometrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Okay, awesome. So uh, it's great that you that you mentioned, uh, you know, the new features. And this is just something that um, I'm exploring uh, lately. Uh, there yeah. are so many features that you have to build for any software company. So uh, what would be the most difficult to build and implement because and and this is something that i'm getting from from just one tweet that said you know it must be email because it's just so difficult 
uh, to to make sure it works, that people, you know, don't misuse it. And then uh, that if you send newsletters, then it's great content and people engage with it. And, then, you know, you engage with people. So it's a lot of back and forth and a lot of um, uh, maintenance required. So what's your opinion? What's the biggest and most difficult feature that you've had to build? For, for us at Hayflow? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, this is unfortunately not a question that I can really answer. I would have to ask my tech team, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and and and, and I, I actually also don't really want to guess, right? Because um, they, will be, they, they, they will definitely um, be very hard on me when I do so. Um, but yeah, I think uh, what, what I see and what we hear a lot is that one is basically publishing a very shiny feature, right? And that's basically the tip of the iceberg. But then there's so much work behind that and underneath, right? That you have to do beforehand. And I um, think about that many times also in, in terms of integrations that we are building, right? You can build a very simple integration from Hayflow to different tools. We've done like plenty of those, um, but um, getting those integrations um, at a place where they work really perfectly so that you can map fields and you can do basically every kind of stuff that you want to do as an end user, right? Is very hard, but this like requires in the very beginning, a lot of setup work from our side, right? Before we can actually launch one integration after the other, right? Today we are at a stage where we can like launch new integrations very, very quickly. So today it doesn't take tons of time to build them anymore, right? But before there was just a lot of setup work required to just make them work really um, perfectly, yeah? Right. Oh, and I think integrations is something that people want more and more. Like everyone wants just this one tool that solves it all. Uh, so I definitely see it as a great trend of 2023. So, um, and this is something uh, probably uh, I'm bringing from from my past uh, role from uh, a low code startup. Uh, why no code? Uh, I, I've read uh, a bit about Hayflow, and I know that it's it's click flows and it's mostly no code, but you do keep an opportunity. Uh, for people to just go and uh, do something custom, right? So you, you do keep that um, um, that part of <clears throat> the product where, I don't know, I can probably send a developer and build yeah. something for, for my company that would work uh, only for me. So uh, why did you keep that? that? That's one question. And yeah. another, uh, why do you think, uh, why, why did you get into no code in the yeah. first place? Because again, there, there is like so yeah. many, uh, questions about it that maybe it's not sustainable. You know, people are, will have to leave it at some point anyway. So why yeah. bother? So what's your yeah. take? Yeah. 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 Lots of good questions. Um, I mean, but let's start off with why no code, right? Uh, so who owns this KPI? Let's get more conversions in the company. Let's get more leads. Who owns it? It's a marketeer, right? right? So, and is the marketeer generally able to code? No, um, she's not, right? So if you really want to get rid of those interdependencies, uh, interdependencies within the company, right? 
you have to think about how you can basically put the person that is responsible for like achieving her goal into a position that she's basically also to to execute against it, right? And um, I think this is for us the main motivation to build a no-code software so that a marketeer can start off using Hayflow and can say, okay, now look at what I've been building. This is basically getting us on the same level with Lemonade, right? So mm -hmm. we're an insurance startup. We just built something like Lemonade and company that got to an IPO within five years and um, is is doing a really, really great job when it comes to, to lead generation and building great user experiences. So this is, I think, really the, the main motivation here, bringing this market here then in, in, in this position that she can deliver on that, right? And that she can do that without investing a lot of time. The company can do it without investing a lot of time. Like usually it would take engineering department a couple of months time yeah it would take them um it would take them data resources marketing resources it would take them design resources to build a flow right so and with that they would have the initial version uh but what follows after that is basically that you launch your first campaign and it sucks right you don't get the first like the results that you wanted to get and then the question is okay how do we how do we fix that now and then you have to go back again to the engineering department and ask for help again right so and i think really getting empowering empowering those people to 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 fix those problems themselves and to really also grasp the opportunities themselves is something that you can only achieve through no code right that being said of course with the customers that we are having um and as mentioned earlier right there are also tons of companies that have like hundreds if not thousands of engineers using our product right and we of course also want to allow for cross um, team collaboration, right? So this means um, that we also want to allow for code, but in the first place, our ambition is always to build a product that can be used also as a, so that can that that can get you to an initial success without requiring you to code. Yeah, if you do want to code, go ahead, build your custom JavaScript, build your custom CSS, build whatever you want, right? But our goal is always to kind of the market here, right? The product person, the people that usually don't code to get them in a position to, to, to move the needle. Right. So basically also <clears throat> it's about, uh, increasing productivity in the company, yeah. right? So yeah. no, absolutely. I mean, uh, I love those products because I cannot code. And if, if there is a tool that allows me to do what would take a lot of back and forth between me and an engineer, uh, to do my job, oh my God. I mean, that's, that's just brilliant. Okay. Well, uh, and uh, you you started talking about about your team, and um, I, I realized that um, you have a lot of uh, care for them and a lot of trust uh, from uh, just just a few words that I was able to hear. Uh, so, what's the company culture you're trying to build? Are you remote first? Are you in that you know trendy? Um, you know, flexibility for mm. um, four day week, you know, work from anywhere in the world kind of team, or you do have a physical office and it makes yeah. sense for you and your team? Yeah, that's a really good question. Of course, also something, um, I mean, we learned a lot from the last three years, 
when we started out the company, uh, Corona's, uh, Corona hit us all, right? And um, and that, my co-founder Dustin and I, we were really always like kind of the office people, and we tried to protect in the very first place the office uh, quite um, quite passionately. Um, but eventually, also we realized that it makes a ton of sense for us to to go hybrid, right? For some time, we went like almost fully remote. And, um, I think, uh, with time, we've been basically realizing that people love also coming to the office, not every day, um, not, sure. they don't want to be pressured to it or so, but they love having the opportunity, right? So at Havenow, we basically have two hubs. One is in Hamburg and the other one is in Berlin. And, uh, you can, uh, you can, you can work from there, but of course you can also work from home, right? And I mean, I think one major learning for us was that um, we don't need to generalize everything, right? Uh, I think if you, if you start off building a company, you always want to build those, like, first of all, you don't want to build out any rules. And if you want to, uh, if you have to build out a rule, right? if you have to implement a rule, you want to kind of get a rule implemented that, that um, comes for everyone. And I think this is not really smart, right? For instance, on the engineering side, we don't really um, want to get, uh, we don't really need to get people in the office. But on the sales side, for instance, we learned that it helps a lot to have, for instance, juniors, salespeople in general in the office, right? That this really contributes to them working more productively, uh, that this really contributes to them learning more from their colleagues at work, right? Because then you have also the opportunity to listen, okay, how does she do it? call? How um, is he finishing up the meeting? How is he wrapping up the meeting and so on, right? Those are information that you would otherwise miss out, right? And you can get them basically if you're coming to the office and this can basically speed up the learning curve. But this isn't, isn't true for... Um, for engineering, yeah. So you would never like sit behind a computer and review code together. This just doesn't happen. That never happened, right? So it's not even comfortable, right? You would just right. share Unless your screen you're and then, yeah. <laughs> so um, this doesn't really happen, and um, this is basically the reason why I think um, about work from home versus working in the office uh, differently depending on the job that you are performing, right? Um, True. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I love to, to just sometimes go to the office. And it also uh, plays well with the fact that I'm an extrovert. I love when people are around. And I, I feel like, you know, sales and marketers, you know, they are like that. So we, we do uh, get a, a lot more energy from people and from like real communication. So uh, it, it it's really good to have <clears throat> to have a place to, to go to where you know, you can just uh, talk to each other. All right. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about the way you uh, sell your product, right? What's your um, what's your biggest customer acquisition channel and what's your biggest and uh, most successful growth strategy? Yeah. So, I mean, just talking very briefly about our channels, we are using on the paid side, of course, review platforms, um, Google ads, we are using TikTok, Facebook, Instagram for lead generation. Um, and uh, then, of course, we are getting uh, tons of our leads in organically, right? Mostly through referrals, recommendations from 
customers. Those are usually the, the, the signups that we love the most. And our strategy has always been basically to, um, to one, have like a very strong presence on the marketing side, right? Um, but two, to be very, very good in terms of the qualification process. Uh, so when the lead, when a sign up, when a trial list, like someone who signs up for 14 days free trial comes in, that we basically assess the, I wouldn't say like quality of the trial, um, based on certain factors, right? Um, and then, uh, either route this lead, like, of course, software always self-service, right? But uh, self-serve, but um, either route this lead then later through the sales funnel, or just leave them completely alone, right? Depending on the priority we give the the lead, right? So here, um, basically, uh, product and sales and marketing come into play, right? Uh, so everyone is working together to make sure that the um trial user sees some very like see some initial big success using Hayflow first responses on on the flow he he or she builds right and um this is in in the sense it's a collaboration between 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 the teams right um we all Absolutely. have to get to work and uh, therefore i I think we're not really marketing led. We are not really sales and we're not really product led. We are basically doing it all. And we always had to because we understood that it takes every team's, um, attention to, um, to, to, uh, get very successful as customer and customer acquisition. Sure. And well, you're, you're still a very young company, right? So it, it does make sense to, to just try it all. Uh, but it's funny that you mentioned TikTok. And as far as I understand, you are still mostly like B2B, right? And a lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of founders are kind of, uh, afraid to, to go there because it, it's just entertainment and mostly, um, not, not a very good quality one, right? So. Uh, did you crack uh, like a certain strategy that works for you, uh, TikTok wise? I think I wouldn't go that far saying that we really cracked the TikTok code, but we definitely um, saw some some very good and promising results from that. And uh, the approach that we've been always taking was an educational one, right? So we're providing value to the potential customer and explaining how things work, right? I think at some point. Um, as like someone who has a lot of exposure to lead generation, conversion optimization, you kind of think, okay, this is so obvious. Everything is so obvious and you don't really share that many information anymore. So we really forced ourselves to become more proactive when it comes to sharing really useful content that doesn't like place Hayflo on the forefront um, with potential customers. So we are running webinars, we're giving crash courses and all that basically to help, um, to, to help marketeers and becoming more proficient when it comes to conversion optimization. Right. Okay. No, it, it makes uh, complete sense. I think uh, 
we had a conversation with uh, Rand Fishkin here, and uh, he was saying that at SparkToro, they sometimes struggle with conversion because a lot of people go in and they don't really know how to integrate uh, their workflow into the tool or vice versa. Um, so, um, and yeah, we, we just came to an understanding that sometimes you just need to look how it's done once, right? Even if uh, it seems like it's such a, an, yeah. an easy tool. hundred percent, 100%, 100%. I think like there's a big gap between kind of the promise that you're giving your customer or potential customer as part of your marketing messaging yeah. and that the software is really able to deliver on that, right? And you have to fill this gap through education. And this was for us basically also the primary motivation to set up a YouTube channel where we really post tons of content that explains how things work, right? And of course, we've been taking inspiration from companies that did that in the past, such as HubSpot and, and Salesforce, and who did really a great job at that. And um, this was also for us really helpful, right? Setting up this content that just gets the customer faster to um, a working end product. True. Oh, I just watched your demo like 10, 10 minutes before the podcast, <laughs> just to understand what I'm getting into. Uh, but um, yeah, do you have any statistics? Like, Because I know you, you've got such a nice setup. Um, you did do some of the educational content yourself, right? And you, you, you did some, uh, workflows, videos. So, uh, do you have any statistics on how many people, um, actually watch them before they sign up for the product? Because like, and this is just based on my experience. I really, really rarely do that. Just, you know, I may come back to watch something when I stumble upon a problem and I'm, I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, well, you know, then let's go and fix it maybe. But uh, I very rarely go in and watch the video before I sign up. So um, what about your customers? I actually don't have any statistic around that at hand. I'm so sorry about it. Um, so I can't tell you a lot about it. Okay. All right. But well, you, you, you keep doing it then, you know, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so no, but what, like what I do can like what I can just say is that we do have like some of the video content is basically designed for the awareness stage, right? Mm -hmm. It is basically designed for people prior to signing up for a trial. So it's like generalized how to content, right? So what are the like five top tips that you need to consider when launching a lead gen flow, right? Like ask one question at a time, start with a simple question, um, split up the content uh, screen so that you are not asking for all personal data at once, right? So this is basically some informational content that we're giving beforehand. And then later on, we are pushing more towards product content that kind of concentrates on the, okay, how do you actually fix this problem? How do you actually embed this solution or connect this service, right? So this is the content that follows on then later. Okay, makes sense. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll probably reach out to your marketer <laughs> for some statistic, but, um, but yeah, I just have a, a couple more questions. Uh, so the first one, the usual question, everyone found every, sorry, every founder gets it. Uh, what's so far the biggest win and the biggest 
failure or if no failures, you know, uh, nothing major, maybe what's the biggest challenge? Company-wise? Mm. Yeah. Or maybe you're personal as a co-founder. <laughs> uh, I think failures, um, thinking here about my, my own failures, I, I think in the early, in the early beginnings of Hayflow, I really sucked at people, at giving people proper onboardings, right? So um, I was totally ignorant when it came to um, understanding what context they have mm -hmm. when joining the company and what context they need to get their job properly done, right? And I also need to admit that people left us really because they just haven't had the best experience early on in Hay at Hayflow, right? And this was basically way back in the days. I mean, the company is only three years old, so it can't be, uh, it, it, it's not, it's not so far away, but still, um, I think this was for me really a learning, um, to fully understand how to onboard new joiners to the company so that they are basically in the position to do the job that they came to do for right um so this yep. is definitely something that um that we didn't do really well uh, really uh, really well or that i didn't do really well um in the beginning um and biggest win i think just seeing i think there was not never like this one situation where we really right where we really fix something and there's not really this one story where we um, took on a very big opportunity and, and leveraged in full within a day or so, right? But um, seeing how the company is able over like the last few years to grow really, really quickly, healthy, basically putting it um, in the uh, in the category with some of the biggest software companies that we are seeing um, in, in the market, such as Figma, is something that I'm really really proud of. But this is definitely a team job, and this is definitely something that is just yeah, where we're just really really good execution um, yeah, plays a big role, and uh, something yeah, that I'm personally just super super proud of. Uh, but again, like. It's, 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 it's a team sport and, um, right. it was really, and, and it's really great to see that this is basically, that it has been evolving so, um, so well over the past years. That's amazing. All right. Well, it, it's, uh, um, it's something that I keep hearing, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's all about the team and what you do together because, uh, you've got this, this goal and, uh, Hopefully, everyone's working towards it. Okay, and uh, the last one will be about trends. And uh, you're kind of in, in the space of my three favorite ones, the no-code integrations and AI. So uh, <laughs> um, what do you think will have the biggest impact on the industry in 2023? In, on the no-code industry or on what? Uh, will there be no code? Will there be on SaaS? On SaaS, okay. Yeah. yeah, I think 
I mean, of course, I do have to say AI, right? Um, it will be very interesting to see, um, like, and I'm, 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 I'm definitely looking here at the bootstrap companies and the very capable people, founders, right? Um, that are building new companies. So I'm really, really, really excited to see what will be built this year. Um, what companies, new software products will be launched this year uh, that would normally have taken like two or three years to build, right? And I think um, this is something what I'm really most excited about, seeing kind of the competition in the market and seeing um, how new entrepreneurs are challenging not companies like Hayflow, but really the big ones, right? And this is something that um, that that I'm looking really forward to, right? Like this this productivity influx, like how does it basically boost the um, the, the 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 entrepreneurs in 2023? This is just yeah, this is something that I'm that I find very very exciting. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I'm all eyes and ears to to see like who's going to leverage the whole AI not not just you know smack and uh, chat GPT or AI uh, on their um, on their name on their website but truly change something all right well um, and uh, one last thing if you know if uh, someone who's listening to us wants to find you or Hayflow how do they do that uh, I think the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn, like Amir Bonenkamp, very weird name, but yeah, this is like just the one that you need to enter on LinkedIn and then you can just reach out. Otherwise, um, Twitter, I think it's also just Amir Bonenkamp, um, at Amir Bonenkamp. Um, this is the best way uh, to, to get in touch. And uh, if you want to test Hayflow, just enter hayflow.app and sign up for a free trial. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Amir. It's been a pleasure talking with you and thank you for, for being honest and realistic about uh, what it takes to build Hayflow. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for having me. It was, was fun. Thank you. All right. And take care. Take care. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at Anna at SaaS.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saws.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.